Well, good morning. It's good to, to see you all here, and uh, we're kind of in the uh, middle of a very short series uh, talking about how we can see better, how we can uh, understand better what God's doing through us, what God's moving in us, and hopefully find some little things that can fuel us to be the kind of people that we're supposed to be, find some things that can fuel us to becoming uh, like Him. Now, as we, um, as we think on this thing, I, I was challenged by something in a devotional uh, a week or two ago about how uh, um, we're blind to our own sin. I know for some of you that's, that's a thought that you had had before maybe or had realized or it didn't really come as a, as a shock, but for whatever reason, for me, it was like a thunderbolt, and I just, I just never really had thought about that, this notion that, that I'm not aware of what I do. Like, I mean, you think that you know yourself, but, but most, one of the qualities of sin, one of the things about sin that makes sin sin is that you don't see it. You, you do this stuff and you don't see it, at least don't see it in the moment, and it's only later when you reflect on it or when someone points it out to you that it all kind of comes home to you. And so what we talked about uh, starting uh, last week was this notion that uh, if you want to see better, uh, there's some things you can do, and um, you certainly could read and pray uh, every day, and I challenged you to do that last week. Now, I would imagine that some of you uh, didn't, didn't do that. I, I asked you to, but, but you either forgot about it or thought, who's he to tell me to do this? I don't want to. And you didn't do it. And that's okay. I mean, there's no, there's, you do what you want to do. But I still remain convinced that it's, it's, a, it's, it's one of the key ways that we understand what God's doing in our lives. It's like when I uh, build something, if I want to see if it's level, I, I take the tool a level and I put it on the wall and I can see if the bubble's there and I'll know. And if I don't ever pray, if I don't ever read God's Word and compare that to the life that I'm living here, uh, then it's going to be very hard for me to see myself accurately and very easy to start doing the wrong thing. I've done some construction projects where we would cut one thing and then measure the second board by the first one, just lay the first board on top of the second one and draw the line and go. And if you do that long enough and you measure yourself by yourself, sooner or later you'll get off. And it's just the nature of how life works. It's the nature of how we work. And, and so I challenge you to do that. And if you didn't do it last week, that's okay. You can start this week. And I still want to push you to do it. I still think it's valuable. There might be some people who did it, uh, started last week, but they, they kind of got off track already. It was hard to stick with it. Or, or they, they got on it and, and uh, missed a couple days and they feel kind of guilty. Don't feel guilty. If you did even one day last week, if that's one day more than you normally would do, then that's, that's a start. And God takes us where we're at. Don't feel like you've got to be a world champion anything. You just start where you're at. But if you've not done it, we're just trying to go through the book of Luke. So today should have been, uh, depending if you started that first day or started the next day, either Luke 7 or Luke 8 today, and you can start right there on Luke 7 or 8. It's a story about Jesus, and, and just work your way through the rest of, uh, uh, of Luke, and we're doing that together. Then in the second, uh, build relationships. So we're going to talk about that today, this notion of, of building a few godly relationships. I'm sure that most of you already have friends and have people that you're close to, and that's great. That's awesome, and we all need friends of all sorts and types and, 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 and kinds. But, but what we're looking for here is a few friends who are godly friends who are pursuing something the same way that you're pursuing it. And then next week, we're going to talk about the value of, of leveraging uh, some of the resources you've been given, that it's more blessed to give than receive, that Jesus says that, and we want to look at that and how that works in our lives. But this week, building relationships. So I wanted to start, if I could, by reading you a story. It's, a, it's a, a, one you may have heard before. It's a little golden book, and uh, one you may have heard before. Uh, I know if you're in the back rows, you won't be able to pick out the pictures as clearly, but that's your fault, right? I mean, you could have sat up here. Look, there's seats up here. Kenny Eichert, come up here. There's a seat right here in the front. You could sit right here. So here we go. 
Uh, once there was an emperor, and he was very proud and vain and conceited, and, uh, and he liked how he looked. He was all the time looking at himself in the mirror there, and he'd ask people to bring him new clothes and new cloths so he could make uh, the best outfits, and he paid really well for it. And two tricksters, two ne'er-do-wells, two uh, you know, scumbag merchants from another town heard about this emperor and thought they could take advantage of him. And so they snuck in, they told the emperor, we make a cloth that is so uh, magical, so uh, powerful that only the wise can see it. And the king thought to himself, well, there you go. I could get those clothes on and then I would know who in my kingdom I could trust to have some sense and, and not. And so he paid the men to start working and the two tricksters got their looms and wheels set up and they worked as hard as they could uh, to, to make the cloth. But they weren't really making anything, it's all a con they just pretending to work. Well, the king, the emperor, says to himself, I better see how they're doing. I paid them all this gold. So he sends his wisest minister. And he says, go take a look and see how they're doing. Well, the wise minister gets there, and the tricksters hold up what's not really there and say, what do you think so far? And he says to himself, he didn't want the emperor to know that he's not wise. So he says, well, I'll see to it that you get paid for this wonderful work, and I'll advise the emperor to come see it for himself. And the emperor did come to take a look at it. Now, all the guys behind here, all the different ministers and assistants, well, they're all scared of looking stupid. So they tell the, the emperor, oh, isn't those colors, and the colors and patterns, aren't they beautiful? Boy, that's a good thing, and, and you really need to look. Well, the emperor starts to sweat. And if you, could, you probably can't see it if you're further back there, but he's sweating, and he's thinking to himself, well, I can't see anything, but I don't want him to think that I'm stupid. And so he says to him, well, just make it as fast as you can, and then I'll, I'll, I'll put it on. So they, had, they burned the midnight oil. They had candles burning all night long, and they pretended to cut and to sew and, and to do, but there was nothing there. They just they lying, they tricksters. Well, the next morning, the king's there in his underwear, and they're telling him they're putting the clothes on. The king says, you know, he, re he remarked nervously, this fabric feels lighter than air. And they said, precisely so, uh, uh, king. Indeed, it's so light, it feels like you have nothing on, said one of the tricksters. Uh, that's, of course, the beauty of the fine cloth. And the king uh, felt much better, took one more look in the mirror, and said, it's the finest suit I've ever had. And he goes on for his parade. Well, the tricksters take off out of town. They're run with their gold, and they were never seen from again. The people in the town wanted to crowd into this parade. They were hoping that they could prove themselves to be wise when they saw the king in his fancy clothes. But none of them, of course, could see anything because there's nothing there. But none of them want to look stupid. So they all say to one another, look at that beautiful pants he's wearing. Look at that enchanting cape. Did you ever say a fine jacket? And they're all talking until finally one little girl says, but look, he says, the emperor's wearing no clothes. He's parading through town without a shirt or a cape. He's not even wearing trousers. And, and the people started to talk to one another. Well, the child is right. They said, the emperor has no clothes. The emperor has no clothes. And he, he continued his parade because he was a proud man, but he hurried as fast as he could to get in the castle, and he hoped that the people would forget about it, but of course they never did. Now, this parable, this story, by, it's by Hans uh, Christian Andersen originally, is, uh, has a couple things to say to us. The first is that all of us are scared that we'll be exposed one day, that people will see that we're not nearly as smart or as together or as worldly wise or as rich or as whatever as we like to pretend that we are. A lot of people carry this secret fear that if people knew them, if they really knew them, they wouldn't like them as much. And so it, you kind of hide behind either telling jokes all the time or you hide behind your athletic achievements or you hide behind your money or you hide behind something else because you want people to be impressed with you. And, and it gets real hard sometimes. And everybody carries a little bit of that. And if you don't carry any of it, well, good for you. But, but you're unique. Most people uh, carry some little bit of that in them. And that's the first lesson. And then the second lesson is you need to get some people around you that will tell you the truth, even if it hurts. 
You need to get a few people around you who will tell you the truth, will tell you what's up, tell you what's down, even if it's painful. And, and that's hard to find because, again, everybody's worried mostly about themselves. They're worried about how they look. They're worried about how they come off. And they won't always tell you what you need to hear. And, but unless you get a few people around you who will tell you what you need to know, tell you what's up, tell you what's down, tell you what's going on, well, then you're going to be blind to some of your own flaws. And there will be times when you think that you're really impressive, but you have no clothes, and, and, and the people are seeing right through you, and you have no idea. Because again, the last person who's ever aware of the sin issue is the person dealing with the sin issue. And again, that's, that's not exactly his point, but that's what I got out of it, and, and that's what I'm hoping that you get out of it as we go through this deal. So today, I want to talk about building those relationships. And what I'd like to do to, to illustrate it, first of all, is talk about the Apostle Paul and to talk about some friends that he had, some people that he got really close to, and how he did that. So it, it, um, if you want to read with me, it's gonna, I'm going to have it on the screen, Lord willing, here in a minute. But it, it's, uh, it's in Acts chapter 20, if you want to read with me. And it's Paul, and he's dealing with some Ephesians, guys who lived in Ephesus. And, uh, and they were elders there, and they were partners and friends with him, and I want to talk about that. Before I get into it, just a little bit of history and you may already know all this, but if you do, then just bear with me as I, as I tell people who aren't as wise and, and worldly and put together as you are. Um, the uh, Paul weeks, and he bounces around. He would not be uh, the kind of minister most churches are looking for. You know, when we, when we hire somebody to be a, a, an associate, we see they've been in this place for 10 years or in the place before. That's impressive. If you see somebody who's been 20 different places in 10 years, you don't really consider them. You think, well, this isn't the right guy for us. And Paul had that kind of ministry because it's just kind of how he was. I think he was kind of abrasive. And I think Paul liked to start things. And so for the most part, he's just moving around. But in Ephesus, he put some roots down. And he stayed there for more than two years, which for Paul was an extremely long time. And it, and it says, the Bible tells us that everybody in that province heard about Jesus because of what Paul was doing there. He was so effective in his outreach that uh, there was a riot at the end of it. I mean, he was, the, the, historically, the city of Ephesus worshipped uh, Artemis or uh, in in that part of the world, a, a goddess named Kybel, and they kind of were, the, they kind of got merged together, and it was a fertility goddess, and there was a lot of sexual stuff with the worship of that, and temple prostitutes, and it had been the thing that people did for years, thousands of years. They all worshiped this Artemis and, and Kybel, and then Paul comes in, and in just two years, thousands of people are leaving this idol worship, and they're becoming Christians, and so many people are leaving that the people who made the idols, the silversmiths and the guys who made the stuff, started a riot because they were losing so much money. I mean, just a fantastic amount of, of stuff that Paul was getting done, and, and after the riot, after the whole city, you know, was buildings are burned, and it was crazy, uh, the, the, the leaders of the church say, Paul, maybe you should get out of town for a while. You know, maybe you should get out of town for a while and, and let things cool down. And Paul agreed with that. And so, uh, if I don't have a map. I should have put a map on the screen. I didn't even think about that till just now. But if you can imagine, if you know your geography a little bit, the, the, the current country of Turkey is right here, and Ephesus was on that country. And so Paul kind of went up along the top of the Aegean Sea there, and he, and he visited the churches like Philippi and Thessalonica that he had planted, and came down into Corinth on the, on the, to the Greek, what's currently Greece today, and visited those churches. Then he, they came back all up along the coastline, took a long time to go all the way over there and come all the way back, and, and, and he intended to go to Jerusalem. Uh, he's telling his people that he's got to get there, that God wants him in Jerusalem by a certain time, and so he, but he wants to see his friends again. And so that's how we get to this thing. That's all background. 
That's how we get to this thing. And I'm going to go through this kind of quick if I can, even though it's, it's kind of lengthy. So if you want to read with me, it starts in a verse number 17 there, Acts chapter 20. Here we go. Paul, uh, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived among you the whole time I was, was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. He said, I served the Lord with great humility and, uh, and with tears in the midst of severe testing. By the, by the plots of my Jewish opponents. So, so Paul's telling them right front, you know when I was there, I didn't lord it over you. You know, I was right in the middle of everything that you were doing. I, I didn't pretend I was better than you. I, 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 I just jumped right in there with you, and we were partners in this thing. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would not be helpful to you, but I have taught publicly and from house to house. So publicly, like, like I'm doing today, one guy in front of a big crowd like this, but also house to house. I went to the different homes, and with just a few of us getting together, and that's kind of like our, our small groups that we do or, or the groups that meet different places, and Paul said, I did that too, and I taught you, and I have declared to both the Jews and the Gentiles that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. He said, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Uh, my only aim is to finish the race and to complete the, the task that Jesus has given me, task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. So he says, I, I've just made a decision that I, I, I didn't think about my own interests at all. I just thought about you guys. I thought about what you need. I thought about what you, uh, what, what you ought to have. And we talk about, again, this building relationships. This is going to come up later on in our conversation. He says, I made a decision to put you first before myself. And, 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 and the very best friends, that's how it operates. That you're thinking of them first, and they're thinking of you first, and, and nobody's thinking of themselves. It, it kind of is a mutual and a powerful thing. Paul goes on. He says, now I know that none of you are gonna, who I've uh, gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Again, Paul knew he had to go to Jerusalem, and he's telling them here, God's revealed to me this is going to go poorly. When I go to Jerusalem, it's going to go badly, and I won't get to see you again. He says, therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. And I've not hesitated uh, to tell you the whole, uh, the whole will of God. Now, this is the kind of thing, this, this, this verse here, that, that probably would not come in a contemporary uh, conversation. There's probably never been a time for any of you where you have said this phrase to somebody, I declare I'm innocent of your blood today. You would never say that. And so it deserves just a little bit of explanation because it's the kind of thing you could read and not totally understand what, what he's out about here. Paul was a, was a Jew in the first century and super educated about the Old Testament. And there's this chapter in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 33, where, where God says, if you know the truth, you've got to tell. If you know the truth, you've got to share it. And he compares it to a watchman on the wall. And he says, if a watchman's on the wall and the enemy's attacking and the watchman turns around and tells everybody, hey, the enemy's coming, let's go, let's get ready. But they ignore him and they laugh at him and they don't do anything. Well, they're going to die when the enemy rolls over the city. But, but God says, I'll save you. I'm going to bless you if you give the warning that I'm going to take care of you. On the other hand, he says, if you're the watchman on the wall and you see the enemy coming and you take care of yourself, you run for hide and, and hide or you, or you think it's funny if they get killed and you just laugh at them while they're dying because they've always been mean to you, or you don't, you don't say what you're supposed to say, well, they're still going to be in trouble because the enemy's coming and they're nothing to do. But God says, I'm going to punish you doubly for it. I'm going to hold you accountable for their blood. So when Paul says this here, he's, he's recalling that, that, that notion in Scripture. And so he says, I'm innocent. I've told you everything. Now, now, what's remarkable about this, even in our day, even in our day, is that very few of us want to tell people everything. If you see somebody making a mistake and uh, 
they're, they're dating somebody who's really bad news or they're, or they're, uh, uh, they're making some decisions with their kids and you're kind of worried it's, it's not the right decisions to make or, or maybe financially, somebody you work with and you're, not, you're nervous about where they're headed and you can see pretty clearly it's a bad decision but, but they don't see it. Well, do you tell them or not? And, and a lot of us, if we're being honest, we don't. Because we think, well, if I tell them that thing, they might get mad. If I tell them that thing, they might judge me for it. You know, they might call me judgmental or, or pharisaical or, or, or hateful. They might make fun of me on social media. They might say we can't be friends anymore. All those things are possible, and any of those things could happen. And so you think to yourself, well, I'm not going to tell him he doesn't have any clothes on. I'll just pretend he looks great. Now, you've not done him any favors when you do that. When you let her go out there and expose herself, you've, you've not blessed her at all. But you certainly saved yourself. And when Paul's using this illustration, that's what he's talking about. He said, I never hesitated. I told you exactly what was going on. And if you got mad, then you got mad. But it wasn't, I mean, and, and you got to be careful here. I, I could see this getting taken the wrong way. For the most part, when people say about themselves, hey, I'm just a straight shooter. I tell it like it is. What they mean is I like to hurt people by my words. I'm not, I'm not meaning that. And I'm not meaning that you have to always be the truth police. I'm not meaning that either. Uh, uh, it's not up to you to always be the last word. It's not up to you to always be the smartest guy in the room. That's not what I mean. What I'm talking about is those things that are going to take them down a terrible path, especially as it regards being close to the Lord. This is, you know, if they want to wear um, clothes you don't think are that cool, what do you care? If they want to, you know, you're not going to agree with every purchase they make. I'm not saying that. And, and sometimes we'd like to stick our nose into things we shouldn't. I understand all that. But this is about those life and death kind of things. I mean, you, this is the wrong route. You need to know this is a bad idea. And I, I, need, I need to tell you. And, and then Paul says, on those kind of things, I put it right out there. I'm not done. Paul says, uh, going on. So he says, that's his example. And then he tells me, here's what I want you to do with it. I want you to keep watch over yourselves and over the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, he's just told them, I'm not going to see you again. He just told them that. I, I'm, I know I'm going to Jerusalem. I know this season of me being around is over. So now that I'm gone, you have to do it, he says. You keep watch over yourselves, and you keep watch over, over your church. You, you take care of them. He says, be shepherds of the flock. Uh, the notion of a shepherd, uh, a rancher drives all the animals in front of him. A shepherd is leading by going first. If, if, if a person is a shepherd in the church of God, then they don't ever ask you to do something that they're not doing, right? I'm going to confess to you on this daily reading thing. There was one day last week that it, 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 for thing, my day started very early. It was a weird day, and it started very early. And I planned to do my devotion first thing, but it got interrupted, and it started very early. And the morning was just rolling on. And I thought to myself, I need to stop right now and read this. And, and it's like the, the, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. And, 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 the, and it says, well, you know, surely you can miss one day. And this other angel, but you told them all to read it every day, so you've got to read it every day. Well, and so I read it. I stopped right then and, and I read it because I'm never going to ask you to do something if I'm not doing it, right? I mean, the very worst hypocrite in the world is the one who tells you to go do something, but they don't do it. And, and, and as far as church leaders, a shepherd always goes first. So if the shepherd's saying, hey, I believe in small groups, then you'll know it because they're in one. If I believe in God's word, you'll know it because they read it. I believe in prayer. They pray. They won't tell you to do it if they're not doing it right? That's always one of the marks of being a, a godly leader. And so Paul says, now I'm going to be gone. You've got to do that. You've got to be the shepherd. You've got to be the, 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 the leader in the church of God. You've got to put yourself out there first because he bought this church. He bought you guys, bought this, this, this thing with his own blood. 
And so I know that after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in here. And this whole paragraph, he says, I, I know people are going to come in and wreck stuff. And uh, I think about the future of Mount Pleasant, and I hope that never happens, but it's just the nature of things. Uh, your mother told you when you were a kid, maybe it takes two to argue, but that's not true. One can do it if they're mean enough. One all by themselves can stir it all up by themselves if they're, if they're ornery enough. And, and Paul said, I know savage wolves are going to come in and they're not going to spare the flock. He says, even from your own uh, number, there'll be some men who rise up and they'll tell some things that aren't true. So you'd be on your guard. You'd be on your guard. Now again, we talk about the pain that you can go through. Church pain is a pain unlike a lot of other pains. It is. If I get mad at somebody here, I mean, it's, it's hard to be godly and do the things I'm supposed to do, but if I'm mad, right? And, 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 and if they hurt my feelings and it's a trust thing, it's broken on a Christian thing, that's really painful. So Paul says, you've got to watch out for the people. And if you see somebody taking them all the wrong direction, you've got to say something because we have to be together. He says, remember, for these three years, I never stopped uh, warning each of you night and day with tears. And now I command you, uh, commit you, excuse me, commit you to God and, and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and, and, uh, and uh, give you an inheritance. This, this notion here of I'm committing you to God's word. We talked about that some last week, that, 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 that this relationship, if we're going to have a, a relationship with common ground here, that common ground has to be God's word, right? We're all trying to follow after him. And so Paul says, I'm committing you to that. I'm challenging you to make a decision that, that you're going to put him first and his word first, and, and, and you're going to take over what I've been doing. He says, I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold. I didn't do it for the money, Paul says. You yourselves are, are witnesses. You yourselves can be know that, that these friends of, uh, let me start again. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and those of my companions. He says, you know that I, I never came in here and made you do something for me that I couldn't do for myself. And everything I did, I showed you by the kind of hard work that we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus, it's more blessed to give than receive. This is also common sense, by the way. Uh, when you're at Christmas and you're a child, it's mostly about the getting. Am I going to get the things that I want to get at Christmas? Hopefully, as an adult, you get much more joy out of lighting someone else's face up. I mean, the whole thing is about finding that perfect gift that really that speaks to somebody, you know? And, and they, they, they're, just, they're beaming. This is the exact thing I wanted. How did you know? Well, I remembered you told me that one time, and I, I kept track. And as an adult, hopefully, you start picking up on this notion that it's more blessed to give. But, but it's not just a Christmas thing. It's a thing. Your life goes better, Jesus says, when you give yourself away. Your life works better when you're not all about the taking. It's, it's about the sharing. That's what it's about. And, and your life works best when that's it. And so, again, with these friendships here, in the context of what Paul's saying, I put you first. I always put you first. I, I thought about you before I thought about myself. So, building relationships. What's Paul's lesson here? What can we learn from Paul's example that we can take and apply to ourselves? I think there's a couple things. First, uh, you want to find common ground with people in Christ. You need it. You need to find common ground with other people in Christ. And this, this emperor's new clothes deal, uh, he had nobody who would tell him the truth. They all just pretended because they didn't want to look stupid. You need some people who are brave enough to speak into your life, and they care about the Lord, and you have common ground in that thing. You need some people who are making an effort to become the right sort of person. 
Uh, now, now you may have lots of friends who, hopefully you do, that all your friends should not be Christians. I mean, hopefully you've got some friends in your family who, have not, who are not Christian. You've got some friends in your work or friends in your neighborhood. I mean, I mean, all your friends won't be Christian. I'm not saying that they should be. In fact, it's probably unhealthy if all your friends are Christian. But you ought to have at least a few friends who, who, who really care about this stuff. And if you can't think of any, that's a problem. I, a couple of weeks ago, I, I preached and I, and I said something along the lines of, uh, I'm not sure you can be a Christian if you don't do some of these things. And someone told me afterward that maybe that's pushing a little too hard. But I would like to double down on that now and say again, uh, if you're not cultivating a few friendships with people who can challenge you to be the right kind of Christian, I'm not sure you can really have a healthy Christian life without doing that. I, I'm not sure... Because, again, we're, we're blind to our own sin. We don't see it. I mean, I mean and, and you can become, start becoming this harder or this angrier or this mean person, and you don't even notice it. And, and so, and so it, it becomes critically important that you trust your heart and, and that you involve yourself with just a few people. You know, they did a survey a couple of years ago, and they found that 80% of people think they're above average drivers. Now, what's wrong with that? Right? Survey of 100 people, 80 of them think they're above average. Well, they can't that many be above average, right? It has to be 50 that's average. And, and, and so I think the spiritual thing works the same way. I think if I were to ask people, do you think that you, you've got some things figured out about God or that you don't have really much figured out about God? I would think that probably more than 50% think they've got a few things figured out. They think they've got a few things figured out. The, the, the danger on it when it comes to spiritual thing is you can get so confident and cocky about your own sense of righteousness that you never really lean into anybody else, and then you don't know when you don't have clothes on. You don't know when you're going out there half-dressed. You don't see it. So I really do think it's important. I really do think you need to find a few people. And again, the people you're finding, if you are somebody who's got a few things going on, then find someone who's just getting started. And if you're someone who's just getting started, then involve yourself with a group maybe that's a little further ahead. We can help you with this as a church. When you go out to the front to the information desk, if you'd like to be involved in some sort of a group, you can let us know. You can fill out the card, the blue card in front of you, and, and let us know on that blue card. If you're interested, I'd like to be in a group and let us know, and we'll try to get you into something. Or you can find your own. It doesn't have to be a church small group. Truthfully, if you will get together with someone at McDonald's every week, and just, but it needs to be deep enough spiritually that you could, in the conversation, say, could I pray with you? And that wouldn't be weird. Can I, have, I was reading this in Scripture. What do you think about that? And it wouldn't be weird. How are you doing with the Lord? You could ask them that, and it wouldn't be strange. It has to be deep enough that you could do those kinds of things. And if you're not doing that at all, I, I think you're on a wrong track. I, I, I think you're, you're heading the wrong way. One thing I noticed about high school, and it's the first time I've noticed it, but I've noticed it a few other times since then. When I was in high school, some of the people who I was super close to and really wanted to impress in high school, hoped that they would be impressed with me and like me and think that I was somebody who knew a few things about a few things, that some of those people who I worked so hard to impress in high school, I haven't talked to them since I left. I don't know how many of you have had that experience, but there was a handful of people like that, and I was so concerned about their opinion when I was in school, and then I left, and they've never called me, and I've never called them, and, and I've not really missed it. 
And what occurred to me is that maybe I thought we were friends, but maybe we weren't as much friends as me trying to impress them because they were they were really smart or they were a great athlete or they were really popular or they were whatever. And if I could get close to them, maybe some of their glory might rub off on me. Or maybe it was just that we went to the same class and we had nothing in common. There was nothing about us that was on the, we weren't pulling the same direction. We just had to sit together. Their desk was beside my desk and we could tell jokes or whatever. And, and, and then when I got away, there, that wasn't there anymore. And I didn't miss it and, and there was no common. But there's other people in high school and, and, and in college and at different churches I've been to where, where, where we were able to, to find this common thing, right? I mean, we wanted the same things and we, we talked about the same things and, 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 and they became deep friends. And, and, and if I don't see them for a year or two, whenever I see them, it's like we haven't missed a beat. And, and those things are precious and they don't happen all that often. But, 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 the, but the consistent theme with those kinds of friends is we were pulling in the same direction, Right? There was more going on than just I had a desk beside them or, or that I, I, I knew a little bit about them. I mean, we were both about the same stuff. And, and you need to find one or two people who are, who are pulling in the same direction as you for Christ. And, uh, and that's the first point, and I think I've, I've made it. I, I mean, I can't think of anything else I wanted to say. No, then the second thing, you've got to be willing to put them first. You've got to be willing to, to let them... Uh, 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 more blessed to give than receive. So you have to be willing to put them first. It means that you may not get the last word in every story. It, mean, it means that sometimes it'll all be about them and what they need, but you, you learned how to put them first. Paul did that in the story that he read. It says, night and day for, for three years, I, I, I gave you everything you needed. With you, in your house, in public, and I, mean, I, just, I just completely uh, poured myself out, worked with my own hands, whatever I had to do to make it right. Paul says, uh, sometimes it was easy, and it will be easy sometimes, but, but sometimes it was hard, and I was getting a lot of persecution, but no matter what, I just kept putting you first. And, and, and if you want to build these kinds of relationships, it has to be that kind of thing. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm not a rancher, I'm a shepherd, and I'm, I'm going to put them first. And as I bless them, Jesus says, it's more blessed for me to do that, to give than to receive, and I'll be blessed in turn. I know there's a temptation, especially as it regards church things, uh, to, to not do that. Uh, when you put other people first, sometimes they'll hurt you and they'll take advantage. Sometimes when you put people first, they'll, they'll not treat you as nicely as you treated them. You'll give to them and they won't give anything back and, and that'll hurt. But the, but the alternative is worse. C.S. Lewis said, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure to keep your heart intact, you must give it to no one. Not even an animal. Wrap it carefully with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock up your heart safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark and motionless and airless, your heart will change. It won't be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love it all is to be vulnerable. And if you put your heart out there, sooner or later someone's going to step on it. And I wish that wasn't true, but it is. I have known some people through the years who say, I'm not going to get involved in a group or uh, whatever because uh, church I was at before, there's a bunch of cliques, and I don't need any, any part of that. 
Uh, or I was involved in a church before and I trusted myself. Somebody had told them some things and they, they gossiped about me. Or I involved in a thing before and I, I really poured all my energy into it and they just took and took and took and no one ever gave back. And I'm not doing that again. And, and the hard part is when you tie yourself to other sinners, you're going to get hurt. But the alternative is to get hard. And we're not wanting to be hard. That's not who we're wanting to be. That's not what we're supposed to be. So I want to challenge you to push beyond that, to take that chance, to take that risk, to put yourself out there and to take some chance on, on other people and, in, and invest in them. And again, the small groups that we set up, you don't have to be part of that, but that's easy. That's easy. Now, if you're like me and you're more of a shy person, um, the, the first week or two that you join whatever small group it is might be a little painful. Uh, you're going to feel kind of exposed. Now, luckily, my wife, uh, who's not here today, she's a talker. So I can hide behind her, and she'll talk, and she'll be friendly, and she's smiling. Everybody loves her. And they don't even notice that I'm there. I'm, I'm in the room, but she's up in front like a bulletproof shield in front of me there, and she's doing all the talking, and I'm behind her drinking my Coke. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's, that's what I do. That's my contribution to the conversation. And uh, you may not have that. You may be married to someone who's also kind of shy, and those first week or two can be kind of hard. And I don't, I, don't, I don't deny that. I mean, I don't deny it. I'm just telling you it's worth it. And you've got to put yourself out there. And you may say, well, if I do it, is there any guarantee that I, I, it won't be painful sometime? And there's not. The worst pains, just for me, now I know it's probably more likely it would happen to me since this is what I do for a living, but the main pains in my life, when I think about the two or three most painful things in my life, have all been done to me by Christians. It'd be a much more interesting sermon and get me much more in trouble if I shared all that, but I'm not going to today. But, uh, but it's always been Christians, people that I trusted, and I thought, well, this person's got my best interest at mine, and it turns out they didn't. And they did something or said something or, or said, talked about me behind my back or did some things mean to me. And, and there was temptation in those moments to just quit the whole thing. And I've, I've a couple of different times thought to myself, I don't know if I want to do this or not. In fact, when I came here, um, part of my thinking was, I'm done. I'll go to, my parents live in Paoli and Julia's parents live in, in Crothersville and we'll just go and we'll do the best we can. But if anything happens again, that's it. I remember saying that to God in, in my prayer. I didn't point, but, uh, but I, and I said it in my prayer. I remember saying that. And, uh, and God's been good. But there's no guarantee he'll always be good on that way. I mean, he'll always be good, but there's no guarantee that the people I'm always associating with will. I mean, sooner or later, It'll, it'll, it'll mess up. That's what happens. And, and there'll be a temptation when that happens to just quit. Say, so you know what? Who needs it? Who needs it? Not me. And, and to, to withdraw and get hard and, and not be part of this thing anymore. And I, I just tell you up front, I pray I never do that. I understand it, but I pray I never do it. And I got to be honest, I, I, this is also doubling down. I've never understood the people who do it long term and pretend that, that they're still fine as a Christian. They don't engage in any deep relationships. They don't connect with anybody here, but they assume that they're still fine. I, I don't know how you'd make that work. I don't. I, I don't think the Christian life was meant to be something that was just intellectual, where you'd acquire some knowledge and, and, and hopefully apply that knowledge to yourself, but never really touch or get your hands dirty with other people. That's not what it is. So in this building relationships, if you want to build relationships, especially the kind of relationships that will help you see yourself, first, find common ground. 
You've got to find one or two people you can talk about spiritual things. And then second, put them first. Trusting that some of them, maybe even most of them, will put you first. That's the goal. That's the dream. And that's what we're shooting for when we talk about building deep relationships in Christ. One last thing on this, and then I'm done with, with this, this line of thinking. Um, there's a common thought that being isolated makes you weirder. I don't know why that is, but it's, it is a common thought. If, if somebody's arrested for being a serial killer, you'll never hear the neighbors say, I don't understand, they were the life of the party. They were always in my house. I mean, they just constantly were friendly and invited us into their house. We had no idea they had a butcher shop down below. We had no idea that was going on. And they never say that, right? It's always, well, no, none of us knew him. He just kind of kept quiet to himself and was over, you know, we saw him uh, sharpening knives all the time, never thought anything about it, and one of those things. They, they, never, they never was like he was a friendly person. He's always a loner, always a loner, you know. If, if, uh, if, if, if a school shooting, you know, the, the, the kid is never the captain of the football team that does that, right? Never the head cheerleader, the star of the drama the group. It's never that person, right? It's the kid that no one talked to, that is completely isolated, completely alone. Uh, we aren't meant to be completely alone. We just aren't. And, and it goes beyond a Christian thing. It, we're not meant to be that way. Something happens to us when we're alone. You can take the hardest person in the prison and put them alone for a few days, and they come right around. It's painful to be completely alone. And, and we're not made for it. We're not. And yet a lot of Christians choose it when it comes to Christian things. And I want to challenge you not to do that. And, uh, and I think that's all I want to say about it. So, today, uh, if you can, I want you to think about making those two commitments. To read and to pray every day. To get yourself involved in at least a couple of life-giving Christian relationships. Read and pray. Life-giving Christian relationships. Start today. All right. Ben can come back up. At the end of the service... Because I'm challenging you to get into life-giving Christian relationships, it's really hard for you to do that right this moment. And I understand that. So right this moment, what can you do? Well, you might need to get yourself right with God completely in some other way. And if you do, this is the time to do it. I'll have some people on both sides here and, and some people by the door back there. And they'll pray with you about whatever you want to pray about. And if you just want to ask them to lift you up, they'll do it. And, and ask God to move. In the, in the room up the hallway there, there's a, a prayer room with the stained glass, and we have some prayer requests in that back room. You could go back there and, 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 and pray with some other people after the service. And sometimes there's people there, and sometimes it's kind of lonely, but, if, but prayer is a big thing. And so take advantage of this time. If you need prayer for anything, know that you can come here to the front, and they'll pray with you, and they'll lift you up. And I'm going to pray with you right now. So pray with me. Dear Lord God, I thank you for this group. And if there's anybody here who needs to make some sort of a decision to draw close to you, God, then I pray you inspire that to happen, whatever it is. God, if there's somebody who needs to make a decision about, about their life, I just pray you give them the courage. Father, help them to see what you're about and to see themselves and to do with that knowledge what they need to do. In Christ's name, amen.